You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today we are discussing the next chapter in our read-through of the Harry Potter series, Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 Quarters. Uh, Today we actually have a new guest with us, Anna has tagged out, and today we have Sammy. Hi! Uh, She's relatively new to the Harry Potter series, so what made you kind of fall in love with the, the series of Harry Potter? Um, well, growing up, I enjoyed the movies. I only saw movies one through four uh, in my childhood. My senior year of college, I decided to read all seven books in a matter of five, six weeks. So... It's impressive. Um, <laughs> I read quite a bit. That's, yeah, how, how many books did you tell me you've read in the year? I just wrapped up book 59. I'm working on book 60 and 61 as we speak. That's it, that's within the year. Yes, within the year. The calendar year. The calendar year. That's uh, that's impressive. That's impressive, people. Yep. Yeah. It's it's a it's a lot. <laughs> so what I love uh, about the series and the reason why I stuck with it is not a lot of authors do you grow up with the writer. Uh, you read the first book and it's written more at an age where Harry is, and then by the time you finish the series you feel you've grown with him and you're reading at the age he would be. Um, and that's unique to the series and something I have not found in other book series. For sure. No, that's something that I definitely uh, was attracted to with this series as well. I, mean, I started almost with Harry himself when I was around 11. So I literally kind of made that grow up kind of uh, trajectory uh, as well. So I know I totally understand that. I think it is one of the highlights of the series and definitely one of, JK's highlights as a as an author and a writer um which she definitely kind of lets loose and the last chapter we had was Diagon Alley and and you get kind of that sense of imagination and wonder all of her descriptive details that she has in that chapter and that was mostly the setting right that was mostly like the world that we're in Uh, this chapter I feel like we get to meet so many characters in this series. Uh, we get a real good intro to some of the people that it, Harry's going to be interacting with. Uh, for example, we start out meeting uh, the Weasleys, Hermione, Neville, Draco, Crab, Goyle, Lee Jordan. Hedwig gets his name. Or her name. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Hedwig How gets her name. How dare you? I am so sorry. I corrected myself. I got. I caught myself. Uh, Scabbers, and uh, Trevor. <laughs> yes. Um, any of those characters? I mean, obviously, there's there's some big ones there. Oh, definitely. Some uh, of the biggest. Some of the biggest. What kind of jumps out at you at some of these first meetings with the characters? Um, it's, it's hard here to not have spoilers. Because it's some true. of the stuff that jumps out is definitely up there in the spoilers so i'm sure we'll probably get to that later 
but it's interesting to see their personalities before they're established with Harry. You kind of get to see what they're like before they're surrounded by the famous Harry Potter. Yeah, for sure. I, I think one thing that kind of pops out to me in this chapter is um, the the twins, the Weasley twins that we meet, uh, Fred and George. Mm-hmm. So we get introduced to them and their kind of uh, snarky humor. Their antics. Yes. Uh, when uh, Harry's kind of overhearing their conversation, well, overhearing their conversation before they even enter Platform 9 and 3 quarters. They're, they're out there and then uh, Mrs. Weasley says, Fred, you go. And then they have this, no, I'm George. How can you do this? You're our mother. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. But um, that kind of interplay, just trying to play a prank on their mom. Um, so you get a kind of intro to their humor there. And then you, and you get it later on the back end when Harry's over hearing a conversation of them on the platform. But in between those two moments they notice Harry struggling with his trunk and they go over, they don't have to, and they go over and they actually help him lift his trunk into the compartment. Uh, It's a really interesting. And then in that second conversation, they also have, um, they notice it's Harry Potter uh, because he's, you know, switches his hair and they see the lightning bolt scar and they go back to their mom and they're like, Oh my goodness. Do you know who that was? Harry Potter. And then she gets very stern all of a sudden and says, you can't mention the scar. You can't mention that night. Please don't do like she gets very stern all of a sudden and they fall in line fairly quickly because uh, they recognize kind of the, the, the meaning behind a lot of it. Definitely. And it's almost like they have a line that they just won't cross. Like they're willing to blow up a toilet seat in Hogwarts and joke about it. That is my favorite line in this entire book is, We'll send you a toilet seat. We'll send you an owl with a toilet seat to Jenny. That, every time I read that, I, I crack up laughing. Because I can just imagine an owl carrying a toilet seat. Yes. <laughs> and and that's, a good, that's a good moment, too. Just in that, you know, Jenny will send you a toilet seat. Jenny was broken up about the fact that her, basically her entire family, all of her brothers are gone. And away, and, you know, she's, you know, crying on the platform because she's the last kid left. Well, she's number seven, correct? She is. Okay, making sure I did math right in my head. Well, can you imagine growing up with seven older siblings and suddenly you're an only child? Yeah, it's hard. It's definitely hard. And you also see the closeness of the family because then Fred and George come come back with, like, Ginny, don't worry about it. You know, we got you, essentially. Yeah. Um, which is a really nice brother-sister moment that they have. Um it's a so I guess what kind of jumped out to me from the characters in this chapter was the Weasleys as a family unit, mm-hmm. and then specifically in the subset of that, the the two twins and the roller coaster of kind of emotions, yeah, uh, that they kind of play with. Well, I think she does a good job talking, or at least demonstrating how the Weasley family is. They're close. They care about each other. They love each other. Which is something that is completely different than what Harry has grown up with. So I think this is a moment where he starts to see what a true family kind of is. It's one of his first experiences of that because it seems like the Dursleys have always kept him so isolated. So now he's finally seeing a a real family with real family dynamics. For sure. And I think you kind of get that a little later on in the chapter when him and Ron are kind of bonding in the compartment. Definitely. Because they end up in the same compartment and they're kind of 
almost uh, going back and forth with like, well, my life's unfortunate. Well, I don't know. Mine was pretty bad. <laughs> and then they kind of go back and forth and they end up bonding over uh, the less fortunate things that they've had in life. Definitely. And it's interesting to see the contrast because Harry's like, I'll take the lot, buys all of the candy. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure in Ron's eyes, he's loaded. Oh my gosh, this kid has money. This is great. But Ron doesn't quite understand the torturous growing up Harry had being child of a family who dislikes all wizards. You get a really good look at who Harry is as a as a person when he has this like introspective moment of like, I've, one, never had anything to share before. Oh, definitely. And two, I've never had anyone to share with. Mm-hmm. So please partake in whatever I can actually offer because I've never had anything to offer before. Yeah, definitely. It's a really introspective look at himself. And I guess when I first read this as as a kid myself, I kind of didn't really let that sink in. But now as an adult... <laughs> You kind of hit those notes, and it's just, you know, not a throwaway line, but it's a small one-sentence kind of thing that now, as an adult, kind of hits me and goes, wow, that's kind of deep. Definitely. I mean, as a child that age, you're like, oh, yeah, I will share. Mom taught me to share. I'll share here. Mm -hmm. You just, it doesn't cross your mind that he's not had that situation before. Yeah, it's it's an interesting moment with Ron and Harry kind of... Uh, bonding together and how they come together with that bonding it, it's unique and it's its a wonderful kind of uh, partnership that's developing there definitely you know what we left off with with the twins and their antics is the spell that they gave hair or they that they gave Ron to turn mm, yeah scabbers yellow <laughs> yellow Scabbers is Ron's red. Yes. We should just clarify. We yeah. should definitely clarify that. Yes. It's um, not okay, children, to turn your friends yellow. Yeah, it, you can kind of uh, see how, at least this stage, how gullible Ron is. Because it really doesn't sound like an actual spell. Not even close. Um, which then Hermione comes in and, and essentially tells him that. Uh, which I love how they describe... These characters, by the way, I mean, Ron is, and J.K. does a great job usually describing characters on their first meeting, but she describes Ron as tall, gangling, uh, thin, big hands, big feet, and a long nose, which I never really picture Ron with. I I don't have much to add there because I grew up seeing the first four movies, mm. so I have do not have J.K.'s descriptions in my you head. You have the Rupert Grant. I have kind Rupert Grant. And I have, I mean, literally every single one of those characters I have ingrained in my head what I saw on the screen. Mm. So okay. it's kind of an interesting perspective. And, and honestly, I, I know I shouldn't, but descriptions I kind of just quickly blow past and don't even think much about them because I, I already have an image in my head. I guess I, I go with JK's first description here outside of... The long nose. I just never think of him with a long nose. And then they, uh, she describes Hermione as, you know, big front teeth, uh, bushy brown hair, and my favorite part of the description is a bossy tone. Yeah. Like, she goes out of her way to specifically say this is a bossy tone, which, quite honestly, even from just her writing of what Hermione said, it comes across so well. 
as a bossy tone. Well, and you, even looking at her writing, I'm not sure, she doesn't bold. What is the word I'm looking for? Oh, the italicized? Italicized, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she italicizes specific words to really express the bossiness, and I feel like she hits the right place to really uh, draw attention to it. Visually, even though you're reading it, it's almost like a visual, like, Emphasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, her writing, that's where her writing kind of comes across. You almost don't need her to even describe that, because it just comes across that way, which, and maybe that's just because I've read this so many times, and I kind of know it. I don't know. If you're reading this for the first time, let us know if you also got that impression with, with the reading. It's it's kind of interesting. Definitely. Uh, but to kind of hit some of the other characters here in the non-spoiler, uh, we meet Neville, who's constantly searching for his toad, Trevor. And uh, if you remember Hagrid's uh, description of which animal you want to get, you don't want to get a toad because that's now out of style. Because Hagrid is clued in to uh, what's trending in the wizarding world, and toads are out. Uh, owls in, toads out. Cats, I believe, are some neutral I mean, kind of situation there. Cats are cats. But yeah, Trevor uh, is always on the run from Neville. Um, so we meet him the first time trying to search for it, and then we meet him again with Hermione trying to you know search for it, as then Hermione comes in. Uh, we also have Draco, uh, who we've met before. Now we know that he was the kid in Madame Malkin's in Diagon right. Alley. Uh, but now he's got two uh, accomplices with him who I are call minions. massive human beings. Uh, Crab and Goyle. They're his muscle. Uh, we meet uh, Lee Jordan. We hear of Lee Jordan earlier in the chapter because uh, he's drawing a lot of attention. Um, and I always forget that Lee Jordan is mentioned so early. In this series? I mean, it makes sense now because we're meeting the students, I suppose. But um, I never think of Lee Jordan being um, so early in the in the franchise. Um, Hedwig gets her name, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so we have the, the kind of the trio of pets that have now been introduced. We have Hedwig, Harry's Owl, Scabbers, Ron's Rat, and Trevor uh, Neville's Toad. I think Trevor is a very dignified toad name. It's a very accomplished name for a toad. <laughs> Scabbers is pretty dead on for, for a rat. Um, and Hedwig, he finds the name in a, in a History of Magic book, Correct. which is pretty cool. Yes. Which means Harry was actually reading. It's not like he just like came into this. He was interested in his books. He was reading, maybe not to the level or with the level of... Um, Excitement. Hermione? Yeah, not not to Hermione's level, but... Uh, well, I mean, he does have a month between going to Diagon Alley and then going to... He does have a significant period of time, yeah. He's, he's got a month now in his own bedroom instead of the closet. So... Yeah, because they're scared straight from uh, the Hagrid turning... Uh, or giving Dudley a, a tail, a pig's tail. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Which they're getting, I guess, surgically removed at the hospital. I don't, I don't know how that works. I, I don't know how you approach a surgeon about that. Hi, my son has a pigtail. Can you remove it? Hey. No, I, I can't explain how it happened. I mean... That's a great surgeon to keep that uh, under wraps. I'm sure, you I know, mean, they're having a good laugh about it. You know, HIPAA, honestly. but... <laughs> yeah. um, 
But yeah, one thing I wanted to key on before we kind of wrap up the non-spoilers and, and get into some spoilers is uh, one thing that really hit with me on this reread specifically was as they're pulling out of the station, Harry has this moment of, I don't know where I'm going, but it's definitely better than where I've come from. And that excitement is almost like you could feel it. It's palpable, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I identify with that so much now because, uh, you know, as I'm older, I've traveled more and I've gone to new places and I don't know what I'm getting myself into and I don't know where I'm going to be or wherever. And that's exciting to me. So I kind of identify with um, Harry's kind of sense of adventure there as, as he leaves and goes into this whole new world, essentially. Yeah, and I love how that is partnered with Ron's, I don't know how to say it, his just, this is normalness of going to Hogwarts. He's, yeah, he's a little nervous, but he doesn't seem as adventurous as Harry. I, I mean, you get the chocolate frogs coming through, and he's like, oh, I've got plenty of Dumbledore, but Harry, this is all brand new, and mm-hmm. I, what I love, the detail she puts in there is later on it has listed of what cards he now has. So Ron has not only helped him through the start of the adventure, but he's also helped integrate him into more of the traditions of collecting cards. It's such an interesting like juxtaposition of Harry's so interested in Ron and Ron's life about, so you guys do magic like all the time? Like, that's a thing? That's like normal? Like, you guys clear the table with magic? Yeah. Um, where Ron is just as interested in Harry, and what, you didn't know about any of this? You didn't know about Dumbledore? And you didn't know about any of this? You didn't know? You did not know that Dumbledore is excited about 10-pin bowling? You didn't know that? How could you not know that? Um, it's a very interesting back and forth of them learning about each other and not just them as people but them as whole other entities muggle versus wizard communities just completely different communities in the ways they were raised it's fascinating because you don't really ever think of it and then you kind of read this and you think wow they must be completely like thinking the other person is so wildly different definitely it's it's cool to think about but that was you know one of my other takeaways from from this chapter but i think we're going to stop there with the non-spoilers unless you had anything else you wanted to i think i'm good cool so we'll take a break and then we'll be right back with uh some harry potter spoilers all right so we are back with the spoiler section for chapter six the journey from platform nine and three quarters so if you're reading this for the first time, and this is your first introduction through the books. Uh, you should probably want to stop now and read through a little bit more, and then you know come back and hang out with us for the spoiler section. I would almost recommend just finishing it and then coming back because okay. there's there's some there's some seating here for the future. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about uh, look. We're going to talk a lot about the Weasleys. I think that's going to be the biggest chunk. I mean, how can you not? The Weasleys is absolutely my favorite favorite magical family in this entire series. I think I I just love everything about the Weasleys in this chapter, actually. I love Ginny's first reaction to Harry. 
Oh, um, yeah. Uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, well, I, I find it funny that her reaction doesn't change for a little while either. No. She's always, yeah. like, just yeah. gobsmacked by him until, I don't know, what, fourth or fifth? Fifth? Fifth, maybe. I mean, even the yeah. fourth, she seems a little starstruck. I don't know if yeah. Starstruck... Starstruck at first... It might be the fourth with the Yule Ball, actually. I think she starts to become, like, her own individual, and Hermione gives her that advice of just, like, just don't... That's true. Just don't worry about it That's anymore. That's true. Uh, I think it's the Yule Ball with Fort. Anywho, um, I love how... Uh, and I'm always going to refer to Percy as this from here on out is Percy the Prefect. Uh, because that's how... That is him. That yeah. is his personality. That is... Percy the Prefect. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, and Neville, Toadless Boy. Oh my god. Those are the two nicknames that I gather from this chapter that I'm always going to remember now. is Percy the Prefect and Neville, Toadless Boy. Uh, great nicknames that I always forget about. And then I read this chapter and I'm doing this podcast and that's what's now going to stick with me. Um, Definitely. But aside from Percy, we learn a little bit more about um, yeah, Charlie and Bill and what they do, which I find incredibly fascinating. With Charlie being a former Quidditch ca- uh, champion or Quidditch captain, former Quidditch captain, and now he's studying dragons in Romania. You kidding me? That's a job I would love. That, that's. I mean, that would be a lifelong. Dream. It's a dangerous job, though. Obviously, I, I it's, mean, for, it's dragons. But he's, he's got that kind of stocky, tough build, though. You know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. It's like the... He can wrestle a dragon if he needs to. Yeah. He's, uh, he's he got his own. that kind of personality. But that comes from, I guess, the sport part of his background and being more athletic. Well, and, and being, what, is he the oldest, I believe? He is the oldest. Okay, yeah. So he's the oldest of seven. So, you know, you've kind of got to be rough and tough to lead the bunch. you got to be rough and tough to deal with Fred and George's children. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Uh, but I think they all kind of look up to, well, they definitely, all of them, Percy included, looks up to Charlie and Bill. And and they're like, those two are the shining examples. And I think Percy is striving to be them. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you get that feeling in the book reading it because Ron mentions that the two older boys are here uh, Percy's a prefect, and then he goes into, yeah, the, the twins are just absolute handfuls, but they get good They're marks. Smart. So I I think it's a good way to set up Ron's insecurities of himself, because sure. he's got a brother who works with dragons, another one who works with Gringotts, so he's got one brother who seems to be absolutely perfect, gets his, what, his own owl and his own wag, wand? No, no, no his own... Robes. He got new robes oh, for new being robes, a prefect. Yes. Gets his own robes because he's a prefect, so Ron's got all this to look up to, and he's like, where do I fit in this equation? Literally every box has been checked. We got the funny ones, we got the smart ones, we've got the tough ones. Where do I fall in this? Yeah, it's it's a tough spot for Ron to be in. It's a horrible spot. And then you have Ginny, who's the only girl, so that's her special trait, is like, it, you're just, the special one. The you're the only girl and mom's always wanted a girl so literally it comes down to ron you're like ron what are you good at because you got to be good at something to stick out here and i mean this carries on through the entire book series and really comes out with um the locket yeah the locket whole crocs and i don't think he really breaks that opinion of i'm not important until he is posed with all of that that comes out of the whole crocs yeah 
Yeah, no, it's it's a constant struggle for Ron, and uh, it's understandable. I Very mean, it's understandable. 100% understandable. I mean, it's hard to relate personally being an oldest child like you are. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to be like, oh, I've got to follow in someone's footsteps, so I'm grateful to have grown up the oldest. But I, I cannot imagine the not only one, but five older siblings. That would just, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot, especially, like, everybody makes fun of the Weasleys. You get Draco making fun of, like, all the Weasleys. Man, you start looking at the Weasleys, though, they're accomplished. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, um, what is his name? Father? Arthur? Arthur. How did I forget Arthur? Arthur is in charge of, um, muggle Which, admittedly, is a joke part. I mean, within the ministry, it's kind of a joke thing. It's kind of a joke, but he's at least risen to a fairly... He's in the ministry. He works in the ministry of magic. Yeah. Yeah. You you gotta be able to do something to have that job. And, again, Mrs. Weasley, essentially, with Arthur... She's a boss lady. She raises all of these children. wonderful children. And Arthur does, too. But, I mean, Molly's kind of the the stay-at-home mom kind of thing, so she gets the vast majority of time with all of these children, and especially Fred and George. So... She's such an essential character to this series, and you know, hopefully, uh, readers have. And I think you do. I think you can't read the series and not understand her value, and all of the characters and actions that she's touched in this oh, series. Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's an enormously important character. I mean, she essentially becomes Harry's replacement mother. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, he didn't have a positive female character until he met her. And that is the positive female character in his life. Yeah, uh, we could talk well, about Weasley's. McGonagall, I guess she's there too. Uh, but she's not yeah. as mothering and as. No. <laughs> no, she's not. Uh, not at all. I mean, she. She, she is. Her heart's her own there. Life. Her heart's there. She's just outwardly a very stern individual, whereas Molly's a little bit more soft. Yes. As, as how, not all the time. I mean... As you, we see you, with Howlers and, and Yeah, such. and you get into the second book where she's ripping the twins a new one and turns around, I don't blame you, Harry. Right. It's nice to see you. Would you like some breakfast? Continues mm-hmm. to berate the boys for making stupid decisions. Um, yeah, we could talk about the Weasleys. All night. And Um, I'm sure you'll talk about them repeatedly in the future. So we're going to continue talking about the Weasleys as we talk about Percy's old rat, uh, which is now Ron's Ron's rat uh, slash not rat. uh, Spoilers, because we're in the spoiler section. Uh, So (laughs) a a couple of things here with Scabbers. One, there was a really interesting line that I... So Scabbers is obviously not a rat. It's Peter Pettigrew. Uh, which is a adult man, uh, and it was stated that he was sleeping in Ron's lap. This is, just for clarification, essentially a grown man sleeping in a child's lap, which is a little weird. It is. It's a little weird. It is. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, there's that. We're going to move past that into the larger picture. Uh, but there's a quote specifically that I want to uh, kind of pull out of here. It's... He, um, I think Ron refers to Scabbers as he might have died and you wouldn't know the difference. And if you know the whole story, I kind of pulled this out because I thought it was interesting because 
I mean, that's kind of what happens to yeah. Peter Pettigrew is, you know, they just all assume he died, moving on with the life, and he's still alive, but no one really cares or notices or wants to look into it further. They just kind of accept the truth of... Well, how many years has he been alive? I mean, it's, how many people have an 11-year-old rat? Yeah, it should be an indicator. Absolutely, it's like no one really wanted to look into that because no one particularly cared. It's, a, it's a magical rat. rat, apparently. Which with a missing toe. And you know, we can get into this more with the Marauders. Um, and I, I know Anna, our last guest, has a lot of uh, to talk about with the Marauders. But I don't know whose decision it was to have the ind- like. James becomes the stag, Sirius becomes the dog, obviously Lupin has his transformation built in. Like, was it th- those three deciding, like, hey, Peter, you should be this because we need this from you? Or was that just Peter and his characteristics led him to be a rat? To me, it's just always seemed that if you become Animagus, that it is whatever creature is your personality. Because Rita Skeeter is a Rita, Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter is a beetle. I mean, how better of a description of her than some bug that crawls around listening? It's similar though to Peter in that no one's a, it's a rat. No, no one's, no one's a looking rat. For, right. Exactly. There's rats everywhere. I'm sure in however many year old castle Hogwarts it, is. It's something that you can just slither in and out of without detection. No one thinks twice. Yeah. Uh, which is what, you know, hers is, too, um, is that's what how she gets her stories, essentially. Um, but uh, I thought it was an interesting quote, just because of how he, quote-unquote, died, um, that it just kind of goes unnoticed, and, and no one really cared to look into well, it more than they did. Ron did look into it a little bit, because he blamed Hermione's cat, which started a little bit of a feud. Oh, yeah, that's true. Tease them up for their uh, Although, very complicated relationship. Um, there was an interesting moment with Scabbers, though, right, bef- right before, um, well, amongst all of the interactions between Harry, Ron, and um, Draco, and Hermione, and Neville. But when they get into the fight with Draco and Crabbe and Goyle, oh, Scabbers yes. bites... Crab or Goyle, I can't remember, because they're honestly fairly interchangeable. But um, he bites one of them, and I'm like, this is the most active Scabbers was up to this point. And he chooses to be active to protect Ron and and Harry, which I find interesting, because either he's doing it to protect Harry, because he knows who Harry is, or he's doing it because he hates the fathers of Draco, Crab, and Goyle, who are all... Spoilers, Death Eaters. Or he just has a loyalty to the... Guy who's feeding him. The guy who's fed him. I mean, maybe there's some animal instinct to it. That's fair. It's it's just an interesting moment where I'm like, wow, Scamper's going out on a limb and protecting uh, Ron and Harry from from that trio. But, uh, yeah, there's some interesting interactions. Obviously, they're seeding for a Harry-Draco rivalry here, uh, which becomes... uh, Key, to say, almost key in the story. I mean, it becomes intense. It becomes very intense and and somewhat stalkerish at points between the two of them. I mean, 
You literally have Harry checking on Draco's every move. You for literally like an have book. Harry and Ron turning into other people, Crab and Goyle to sneak in just yeah. to secretly interview him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they're also seating kind of. They're, I guess they're not really seating it, um, but obviously it's Ron and Hermione kind of clash hard. Oh yeah. Uh, very antagonistic uh, starts to their friendship relationship, whatever you want to call it. At this point, and um, it's almost so much so that now that you kind of know how it turns out, you're like, "Wow, they're really kind of seeding that early." Of like, "Oh, oh sure. Ron and Hermione are kind of going to be a, more of a connection," um, but it's very antagonistic to start. But it's just interesting how those two pairings kind of start forming even now. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, as and speaking of pairings forming, um, what they all get into the boat to go yes, see... Yes, it was the four of them. It's the four of them. It's, and it's the four of them, the entire series, or the, the entire book series. It's, I mean, Neville always worms his way in. He's the fourth wheel. But... He's for sure the fourth wheel. But what's interesting about it is as you get further into the series, you kind of think of, of um, Neville as just that throwaway character that's not supposed to be in Gryffindor, so on and so forth. But as you read, you realize that both Harry and uh, Neville could have had interchangeable lives. Mm, yeah. I mean, and that's, to me, that's why he's a significant fourth member is because, I mean, neither of them realize it, but Neville very well could have been Harry. You know, it's, uh, those who know me who are listening to this podcast right now know that I'm a massive Beatles fan. <laughs> and everybody's trying to refer to uh, different people as the fifth Beatle. Mm-hmm. Well, Neville would be like the fourth Beatle in this situation of Definitely. like the the main trio, and then the next one. Um, and and Neville plays a, a huge role in the prophecies, like you were just mentioning. Well, and I love that. Yes, he gains confidence and he gains skill as it goes on, not to the extent everyone else does, but. In the very end, who destroys Nagini? Yeah. He proves himself a Gryffindor, pulls that sword out, and puts Take, himself in there and says, you know what? Horcrux, yeah. Screw it. I'm important, too. For sure. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I have to, before we uh, wrap up here, we're getting, we're getting down to it, but um, they start the... They started the Hogwarts uh, house biases back when uh, Draco was uh, slandering Hufflepuff back in Madame Elkins. But they continue it here with Hermione talking about, I want to be in Gryffindor because it sounds like it's clearly the best. I guess Ravenclaw's okay too. And obviously, uh, you know, Draco comes out and like, hey, you need to know who your friends are, Potter. You need to blah, blah, blah. And you, you know, get him with uh, Slytherin in that kind of house because that's where Draco really wants to be. Um, so you're getting the seedings of that, and, uh, obviously we're gonna get into the sorting ceremony here in the next chapter, so stay tuned for that. Oh, and stay tuned, because someone has some opinions on some houses. Yes. Um, Sammy's gonna be back for the next chapter, everybody, so, um, it's a big chapter, it's an important one. Before we end, uh, I just want to say shout out to, uh, the candy lady on the Hogwarts Express. <laughs> Um, a very sweet, very loving old lady. Uh, if you have checked in on The Cursed Child, which is a play, but also it's in book form, uh, 
I, I would check it out. It's it, it's fine. But in that book, you find out that she's like a demonic candy lady. Yeah. Like she's been around for forever. And if you try to escape the train, she will murder you. Yeah. She has no idea who she is anymore. How long she's been there. She, she's just there to make sure children don't do anything wrong in a very homicidal a, way. Very, a very homicidal <laughs> way is a good way to put it. Um, yeah, so if you haven't checked out Cursed Child, check it out. There's some weird stuff in there. Um, but hopefully you've enjoyed this discussion uh, about Chapter 6, uh, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 Quarters. Uh, read along with us, join the conversation, check us out at Hogwarts a Pod on, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Allen 44. And uh, join us next week when we uh, talk Chapter 7. Check us out. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.